Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today we have an interesting article titled, Are We Supposed to Balance Love and Truth? by Gregory Boyd. It's from, I believe, his website, renew.org, from October 6, 2014. Greg found this article trolling the internet for good material. And today we're going to talk about how good this material is or not. So, where do you want to start us? Well, I might make one little point, which is that (laughs) I'm really not sure if Greg Boyd is the author of this post. I know it was based on, it says at the bottom, adapted from Repenting of Religion, which is one of Gregory Boyd's uh, books, pages 57 to 60, but the author is Renew. And some of these posts in here have Greg Boyd as an author. So, Oh, interesting. Okay. So we, so I'm not sure. So just to be very crystal clear, we're not sure exactly who wrote this, but it is at renew.org. There'll be a link to it in the notes. Yeah. So... As I recall, you found this article because my level of productivity on the sending you troubling Christian articles was kind of on the wane. And so <laughs> you, you went spelunking for your own stuff and you landed on this. Is that, is that a fair summary? That's a fair summary. And, and this is, um, I was pretty pleased to find this, you know. Um, most of the stuff that I come across when I'm looking for things on love and truth, uh, particularly if they're from an evangelical perspective, which this article definitely is, um, will be fairly heavily weighted on the side of truth. And this article is not. uh, Quite the opposite. And so I thought, okay, this is really interesting. And um, yeah, I know we, we, we talked about this before and you expressed a little surprise that I wasn't like, you know, yeah, this looks like a home run for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although what's uh, interesting, so the the question of the article is, are we supposed to balance love and truth? And I'll I'll get right to the punchline. The conclusion of the article is a is a resounding no. Mm-hmm. The article sa- seems to be saying that love is the highest, and everything else must come underneath it, mm-hmm. which doesn't kind of go along with the normal point of view that you usually advocate which is that they are what do you call them co-central or there there's yeah. a tension between the two and there's one is never completely above the other yeah i don't think there's a hierarchy i, I and I, I i i i read in this article love definitely being placed hierarchically above truth and uh, that's the opposite of what i typically read in you know, evangelical um, descriptions of love and truth. But I think both are equally, differently, but equally problematic. Um, you know, so this, uh, a couple of things that I thought were were interesting. I'll just read from the, I guess it's the fourth paragraph down. It's just two sentences. Because the command to love is the central biblical doctrine, it is the only one we can and must hold in an unbalanced way. Put differently, the only way to be balanced in our understanding and practice of love is to see all other commands as aspects of it, not competitors alongside of it. 
I think a couple things struck me about this article that that I found a little worrying. Well, I wonder if um, you need to go backwards. Why don't you just read the first two? Read the beginning to there because I think the okay. setup. So the setup is based around Colossians three fourteen, which I looked up and mm-hmm. I. I'm kind of yeah. I'm, not, I'm having a hard time seeing how you can base this whole article. Well, it's around one verse, but I don't think the verse really supports his his setup here. So, yeah. Well, he could have he could have done a bit of a better job. Like he could look into say uh, the Gospel of John, and you could go into John thirteen. You know, just as I have loved you, or I give you another commandment that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple. If you have love for one another, I'm reading out of the NRSV, and this is the Gospel of John, uh, uh, chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35. So, I mean, there's stuff like that in there. And then you could flip into, uh, I don't know, let's flip into Matthew. And let's look at, say, uh, where are we looking to? I think it's Matthew. Oh, man. I'm having a hard time in Matthew. Let me go to Luke 11. Luke 10, the greatest commandment. Oh, okay. And that's tied in with um, Matthew 19, right? Where Luke 10 verses 25 to 28, and this is again from the NRSV. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, being Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He, being the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Then he, being Jesus, said to the lawyer, you've given the right answer. Do this and you shall live. And so, yeah, I think there's probably a lot more than Colossians 3.14, though it's a bit surprising to me that he only put Colossians 3.14. You know, I I don't think you're kind of, I don't think it's it's overkill if you have five references, (laughs) five references in there, like, you know, you don't have to feel like you're, particularly if you're referencing something that most of your readers are going to take as a thor- source of authority. Uh, for example, most of your evangelical Christian readers would take uh, biblical citations, quotations as as authority, authoritative. I can see why he, he, I can see why whoever wrote this chose this verse because it, it wraps it up very nicely. But if you mm. read the verses before, it doesn't work. So Colossians 3.14 okay. from the NIV says, and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And before that, he's talking about different virtues and uh, setting your heart on things above where Christ is. Well, anyway, it's all about virtues, and and it seems to me that this passage is more just kind of wrapping things up in the context of, you know, wrap all of these things up in love. There's nothing Mm -hmm. about, there's no commandments about love in this verse. Yeah, well, I found that unless, I, I, unless, unless I'm a grinding axe here, unless you take, you know, the the classic. Well, it's in the Bible, so it's a commandment. Even though this is a letter <laughs> from Paul to the Colossians, you know, it's in the Bible, so that makes it a commandment, but, which I don't buy. Right. Yeah, I think it would have to be a little more specific than just being in the Bible. I agree with you on that one. That's that's a little too general. Um, but I, I did think it was really s- strange when he's talking, you know, because of the command to love. And I'm thinking, on the one hand, it, again, there, you, you, or pardon me, again, there, you'd want to be a little more specific. The command to love whom? 
by whom, in what, in what situation. So, you know, I've rattled off uh, a number, a couple of verses in God's, John's gospel. I read a couple in uh, Luke's gospel. They, the couple in Luke reflect a, a few in Matthew's gospel that are quite similar. But all of these are very specific. You know, love one another as I have loved you. This is a new command. That's a paraphrase of John 13. And then love God entirely. Uh, and I would say, uh, the, better, the way to paraphrase it is, love God entirely, love yourself rightly, love your neighbor likewise. The text says, love your neighbor as yourself. But of course, that's, if you like, below or informed by loving God rightly. But again, this isn't some just command to love, right? It's, it's specific and it's been put in a specific context. And even in the John 13 setting, this is in the context of love each other as I have loved you. Follow my example. So it's very specific, right? There's a specific way that this is supposed to happen. doesn't mean that it's narrow, but it just means that the phraseology here in this article seems to me to be very strange. But you wanted to go back and you were talking about the first... Well, I wonder if there was any value in just reading the lead-in and then, well, even the paragraph after that is, I think, interesting too. Okay, sure. Well, the first, I'll read the first one. Um, it starts with this, and I, I found this one quite quite interesting and, and problematic too, but uh, it begins, often people say, quote, you, yes, we must love, but we must balance love with truth, end quote. And then there's another quote, quote, love has its place, but we must not forget God's, God's wrath, end quote. And then the last quotation, love must never take the place of correct biblical doctrine, end quote. And then he says, two points need to be made. Do you want to read those ones? First, if we take seriously the biblical teaching, that always feels like a setup to me. If we <laughs> seriously take if we take seriously the biblical teaching that the love command is the greatest command, that we must put it above all other considerations, that we must clothe ourselves with and even in love, then there can be no thought of balancing love with any other concern. Nothing can qualify a command that is a quote, above all other commands, Colossians 3.14. If the command is to love everyone as Christ loves us, there is simply no situation in which the command does not apply. That just, all kinds of uh, red lights go off when I hear stuff like that. And then the, the paragraph you read, because the command to love is the central biblical doctrine. It is the only one we can and must hold in, in an unbalanced way. Put differently, the only way to be balanced in our understanding and practice of love is to see all other commands and aspects of it, not competitors alongside of it. We have to wonder where anyone got the idea that love in any way competes with truth, holiness, or biblical doctrine. Love is the central biblical truth. It is the essence of all holiness. It is the most important biblical doctrine. Every truth, every deed, every teaching is reduced to nothing more than religious noise when it when it isn't placed under and clothed in the commandment to love. So I see all kinds of interesting things there. I don't know where you want to go. I want to go back to those red lights. There is simply no situation in which this command does not apply. Like that Yeah, that I don't know. I think that's some of my some of my baggage there, but it just it's just this absolute notion that there's only one way to do this and it applies everywhere in every situation, full stop. Really? Hmm. I, I just, and this is where, oh, that feel like there's some classic, 
Christian mumbo jumbo later on in this thing where where he kind of mixes up, you know, well, yeah, I mean, some some, you know, God's wrath and, you know, some bad stuff happens in the Bible. But, you know, that's really just God's really unique way of loving people. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? Like that's that's what I kind of picked up from that, and I've heard that for so long. It was just I feel like that's kind of one of those constructs. It's like, yeah, you know, God's love is really strange, but isn't it amazing? He's God, and you know, you can't really wrap your head around it, but that's okay. You can't because He's God, and we're humans. And I just read it. I was like, wait a minute, like <sighs> that's a great point. Which one? <laughs> what you just said. It's a great point. In other words, like look at some of the things that happen in the Old Testament. You know, if it's all about love, then I would expect to see love and love's outworkings. And I, for me, when I, when I structure this, when I see its structure laid out, I see, for example, when love and truth are co-central, there are certain things that fall under love. They're kind of subsets. They're outworkings of love, like mercy and forgiveness and gentleness and kindness. And there are things that fall under truth, like fairness and you know, justice and honesty, etc. But it's really interesting because you see in the Old Testament some very striking examples of uh, you know the, the the Hebrew people going in and, and annihilating people groups. And in some, you know, there are sections where in, whether it's, um, is it Joshua or Deuteronomy, um, where it's very explicit, like you are doing this because these people, you know, I'm using you to kind of eradicate these people because these people have been, have been, you know, abominably wicked in my sight. Now, the, the the occurrence of that is very, very rare. Well, and I think, so, so I think this, the next paragraph speaks to that. Okay. So it says, second, any attempt to qualify God's love with another attribute, God's wrath, for example, amounts to a fundamental denial of the centrality of the revelation of God in Christ. Mumbo-jumbo alert. What on earth does that mean? For Christ reveals God's holiness and wrath against sin precisely as he reveals God's love for sinners. What? This, like... This is this kind of stuff I just see myself sitting in church hearing and just being like people around me having this profound look of like, wow, that's really heavy. And me just being like, what are you saying? Yeah. Indeed, God's holiness and wrath are what God's love looks like against sin. Again, a serious head scratcher. I, I sense there's some irony in there and some profoundness I'm supposed to get. I don't think I'm the smartest person on this planet, but that paragraph made no sense to me. Yeah. Did it make any sense to you? Well, or does it? Or we should go back to where you were going with the Old Testament. No, 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 no. I, I think this is good. Let's let's we can hop around. I, I think that's that's a good way to go because I I actually found what you're saying like not about the mumbo jumbo, but about the head scratcher. I found that this was confusing. Right? I understand. I think I understand what he's saying, but I found something about it confusing in a way that I don't find many articles like this confusing. Like this is not really super technical. He's not making a lot of, I don't know, he's not throwing in a lot of Greek words and et cetera, et cetera. But I too found it kind of confusing in a way. And so when I read that paragraph, I thought, well, I think what you're doing is you're just kind of, you're trying to make your point by restating your point. (laughs) <laughs> and that's just restating your point. It's not making it. 
Okay. Right? So it's like so trying to say words, the same thing like four different ways. Yeah, like any attempt to qualify God's love with another attribute, God's wrath, amounts to a fundamental denial of the centrality of the revelation of God in Christ. Means that ain't the way it was. You shouldn't be doing that because that's not the way it goes. Well, the, give me a little bit more on that. You know, why wouldn't that be? And when he said earlier, he said, um, oh, yes, in the third paragraph, nothing can qualify a can't command that is above all commands. And that's where this, he specifically And I wrote said, next to that, I'm like, based on what? Well, exactly. <laughs> like, what? Exactly. Who I gets mean, to decide whether that's the rule or not? Like, come on. I, I guess he, I guess this author does, but but I, I don't see that happening at all. In other words, there's tension, right? There's a bunch of tensions that are that are that are situated in and that are presented within the biblical text that help us understand who God is, who human beings are, a little bit about what the world around us is like, but mainly God, humans, and the relationship between the two. That's what it's doing. But you know, we're we're human beings are alternatively presented as as those who are who can know some things, who are able to do some things, and yet who are very good at deceiving themselves, um, who can have a degree of confidence in what they know, and yet need to keep um, a degree of humility about these same sort of knowledge claims. Um, because that's, that's who we are, you know? And we have this ability to kind of understand and hold on to things, to make commitments, right? There's no sense in the Bible that people are called to do something by committing to uh, uh, belief in God that, that they're simply not capable of doing. But there's this constant resurgence and recurrence of breaking away from this belief, of this belief, no matter how well-founded it may be and how well, uh, uh, how convincing the criteria are upon which it's, it's established, you know, th- th- there's still people and many, you know, frequent instances of betrayal, of turning away, of forgetting, uh, etc., right? And so the idea for me that something in the Bible is to be held in a way that is devoid of tension and that does not allow for other characteristics or uh, aspects, whether of, 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 of my nature as a human being, of God's nature as, as, as a divine entity, to uh, interact with that I think is is uh, it's really contradicted by the overall picture and that's presented in the text and the way that various different components of human being and human existence of divine being divine interaction are presented. So I think that the biblical text offers a contradiction of this perspective. It basically would deny it, and that would make you know, and I would be. Yeah, I would be very doubtful about this idea that um, there can be no thought of balancing love with other with any other concern. I do think that the biblical text, and this is where it's so ironic to me. I don't understand. Like, if you're going to cite one or two um, verses, he's he's cited in this article. I see Colossians three fourteen, which we've already mentioned. A verse in uh, another verse in Colossians, Colossians two nine. And then he cited the First uh, Corinthians one thirteen, but I don't get if you're trying to make a point about the centrality of love. First of all, I would use the right words: love of what? What is central? Loving God with everything we have—that is our central concern. 
right? And I think it's laid out that way in those with those words. Oh, that's interesting. I think I just got it. So, so, so you're saying that the centrality of the message in the Bible is a command to love God and love your neighbor. And what you're saying in this article is is he's advocating that just this broad notion of love. Yeah, I think it's too broad. It's too imprecise, and he's got. He's got a whole lot of material at his disposal to, on the one hand, convince me. Convince me by giving me the material. Point out the references. Point to your authority source. And in so doing, you're going to make your case clearer and sharper. Right? Don't just talk to me. Like, what, what is the love command? There is no love command. That doesn't exist. Well, isn't it the greatest commandment? I don't understand. Why not cite it then? <laughs> just put it in here. First, this is his sentence. First, if we take seriously the biblical teaching that the love command is the greatest command. Well, really? And, and also, it's never laid out as this is the greatest command and that's it. We'll walk away. Because in each case, someone basically... That's interesting, though. I feel, like, I feel like you've set it up that way, though, in previous conversations. But, well, I don't know. Do I ever say love God entirely and leave it there? Or is it not love God entirely, love yourself rightly, love your neighbor likewise? And there's a hierarchy there, but there's an, un, I would say, an unbreakable relationship. Okay. So, yeah, it's interesting that, that in, in these texts, both in Matthew 19 and in Luke 10, we see or we read, there's both of these things. There's love of God, and then there's love of neighbor in relationship to or in, in tandem with love of self. And so that's, for me, what he's, the way he's laid this out. It, it's strange. I think the other thing that that's, I would really want to question is, you know, why don't you want to have anything else that is, uh, that's qualifying this command? I mean, wouldn't you want this love, for example, to be true? Wouldn't you want this command to be true? I mean, I could go command you to kill everybody. Is, that a, is, that, is, is there something true about that? Is there something valuable about that? Is there something inherently indicating that it's to be believed? Or that God's an avocado? <laughs> if these commands, in other words, if, if this content is not true, it has no value. Its orientation is not its truth. Its orientation is what it's directed at which is be in right relationship with God above all other things. But I think an article like this is assumed to be true. Like it, I don't know, the more we talk and the more I look at it, the more I just kind of think it, it's somewhat, it's, it's trying to be provocative to be provocative. So later on it says, we are only balanced. In other words, I feel like he's playing, <laughs> he's, he it's, prov- it's provocative. It's, it's, we need to balance things, but you can't balance it. The only way to balance it is to be out of balance. It's a Kyle Eidelman construct, if you ask me. You know, down below here, we're only balanced in our understanding of love when we understand that it is the only thing we must live in to all people at all times in all situations without exception. If we do this, everything else we need to do will get done. If we don't do this, there's simply nothing else worth doing. I'm calling mumbo jumbo. Seriously? Come on. Wait, tell, me, tell me about how this works out in, in your life. Tell me how this works out in anybody's life. But it's You're something to balanced. live for. I mean, it's something to strive for. That's for sure. 
<laughs> do it all it's the time, everywhere. Leader, by the time you're 25, but I don't know that that's a good goal. <laughs> Wait, what was that? So is being a millionaire by the time you're 25, but <laughs> it's assumed to be true. But I guess there's a there's a there's an innate relationship between love and truth that for me, you know, in other words, for truth to be human, for it to have a value beyond merely being um, mathematically true, you know, um, uh, trying to think of the trivially true, right? It's got to have something to do with my being and beyond like just the bare nature, bare, bare essentials of survival, you know, like knowing that I don't eat, I shouldn't, I can eat this mushroom, but I can't eat that mushroom. And I can climb out on this branch to get away from a bear because it looks like it's going to support about three, 400 pounds, but this one's only going to support 150. So I'm not going to go out there, but truth that involves that is most important for human existence is truth that must be oriented towards human flourishing and for that to be the case it has to be truth that is involved or oriented towards love but i would say the same thing about love there's certain things about love right there's certain things about love's origin you know we talk about attachment theories and i think attachment is a great way to look at what's the origin of love it's an attachment right? We talk about a relationship in Christianity. What is its purpose? To create bonds through that attachment that foster what? Human development and flourishing. Again, a great way to look at what's supposed to happen. Well, you know, look at the early part of the book of John. What's, what's Jesus talking about there? Jesus is recorded as, as, you know, putting forward this idea of abundant life. We are to be, you know, to develop in the right way, to flourish. And then, uh, yeah, I guess how love is offered. Love is offered as a gift. How is it received? It's not received if it's going to be received as love, as an, as an illusion or as manipulation or extortion or any of these things. And so there's certain characteristics about love that must be the case. Truth is embedded in love and, and, and truth that is this kind of divested of love or unrelated to love is truth that's really kind of it may help me stay alive, may keep me breathing, but it doesn't help me to flourish as a human being. What about so, going a little bit into what truth is? Because as you're talking, I'm reading the last couple paragraphs, and I would agree mm. with these paragraphs. But mm. what I'm wondering is, this might sound ironic, are there, what exactly is truth and are there different kinds of truth? Because I think in the maybe in the context of this article, truth for this writer is correct doctrine yeah i think that's a super like i because think at the I end think at the end he says how much harm has been done to the church and to the cause of jesus christ because christians have placed other considerations alongside or above the command to love as god loves in the name of truth christians in the past have sometimes destroyed people even physically torturing and murdering them and it kind of goes on and on and then it's kind of the end the unsurpassable worth of the person who doesn't share our truth doesn't meet our definition of holiness or doesn't agree with our correct biblical doctrine has has all too often been neglected or denied. Maybe mm. I jumped in there too early. But it's just the idea that, that Christians have excluded people because other people don't share, share the same truth. And I wonder if truth is the wrong word in that. It's, it's, it seems to me as truth equals correct doctrine. Well, yeah, I think, I think he, and th- that kind of goes back to that opening paragraph when he's got these three quotations the one, yes, we must love, but we must balance love with truth. So that's kind of, you know, this whole... Correct doctrine. 
Well, yeah, but even at the, the third one says literally, love must never take. This is a quotation. Love must never take pl- take the place of correct biblical doctrine. So yeah, it's almost like he puts truth out there, and we've got these two overarching kind of meta or mega uh, principles. And yet truth boils down to something really, really specific. I think you're right about that. And it also, the second piece in there, the second, I'm again talking about the first paragraph and the second quotation, which is, love has its place, but we must not forget God's wrath. And um, I just, I, I think he, I think you're right. I think that part of this is he's, the author is talking about truth, but hasn't laid it out well has essentially approximated truth as biblical doctrine. We'd be much better off if we were to talk about, you know, what's the relationship between loving your neighbor and valuing and adhering to, if you like, biblical truth. So what's and, the better definition of truth? Well, I would think on the one hand, truth is, is adherence to, to reality. And of course, that's a big term with a whole lot of definition. And yet I would also say that truth is openness to possibility. You know, oh. so truth is not just what is there, but what could be there. Truth is what is. So if, you, if you're, you know, particularly in, in a Christian context, when we talk about truth, we would say it's tr- true in the sense of it's really the case that God exists. It's really the case that this God is the only God. It's really the case that this God is sovereign over all things and will express that sovereignty in a definite and unmistakable way at a certain, we might say, at a certain historical moment right? Uh, a certain apocalyptic moment. But we would also say that it's true that God loves me. It's true that God loves me despite all the things that I do and have done and will do that prevent even me from loving me or even people very close to me from loving me. And that's a lot more to do with what's possible. I sometimes can't see that. Sometimes the only way I understand that God loves me is by using my imagination. So truth is related to the imagination, not just to our rationality and our sense perception. That sounds scandalous. Well, I think it is if you're looking for this narrow kind of <laughs> box it up and, and, and ship it off for Christmas type of uh, No, but the idea, that, the idea that we can imagine what truth would be, that's, that sounds really slippery. Well, I don't know that I'm imagining what truth is, but I am imagining that a truth claim could have truth value. So when God, when there is the claim, the biblical claim that God loves me, irrespective of what I have done, who I am, etc., I I validate in part, in part, like it's not just all some imaginative exercise, right? And I'm not imagining the claim. The claim's really there. But part of the way that I see that at moments when it's difficult for me to see it is, I, is through the imagination. I don't think you can establish an initial kind of sense of the value of that claim through the imagination. That doesn't work for me. And just real quickly, if someone wants to accuse Greg of mumbo-jumbo there about truth claims and truth values, we have an episode on that. It's episode 14. Oh my gosh, you are so good with that. <laughs> well, Google you are helped. shockingly good. Google helped me a little bit, but oh my I just gosh. thought, oh, someone's going to be like, truth claims and truth values, that's mumbo jumbo if I ever heard it. So yeah, well, <laughs> refer to the well, archives for that one for a little more background. <laughs> yeah, well, the truth, the truth claims are, you know, in the Bible, there might be, you might read something that, if, that amounts to a claim, like God loves me. 
well, how do you validate that? Well, the validation process is essentially saying there is or is not a certain truth value to that truth claim. There is or is not an amount of substantiation that I can find or uncover or be told about that it relates to that claim. So that's where I'm that's where I'm going with that one, but I think I've taken us away from your the question that I was having was, oh, okay, without getting too meta, what do we really mean by truth? It, it, truth oh, it, oh, truth oh. and love, I think, are each words where it's kind of, well, it's really hard to define and it's really big and it's really broad. And so we don't really define those terms very often. And as we we're talking, it's like, wait, what is, is – yeah. So my my observation was that maybe in this article, truth was being equated to correct biblical doctrine. And I would say absolutely correct biblical doctrine has been used as a huge baseball bat to people's heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you see, I think he could have gone so much further and done so much more in this article if we would have looked at, well, okay, what are the basic orientations that make it difficult for churches to work with people, to accept people, to interact with people who hold different views on doctrine or biblical truth or whatever? And so we might look at, well, a typical stance that most churches have is a, t- is a stance of dispute. They want to find out if you're in or not. Are you one of them or not? Do you believe like us or not? And then the response, if, you know, there's a, a certain well, amount of deviation. <laughs> well, yeah, and then, and then we get into dispute. You think this, we think that. And my response to that or my orientation is, no, 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 that's, that's a, absolutely the wrong way to go. We don't start with dispute we start with dialogue i want to know something about this person how do i know and even when i do know and i am very sure that they believe something radically different than i do the only way for me to be i think honestly (laughs) to to love someone to be a human being with another human being in and through whatever situations you know as far as i can is to be able to dialogue with that person and when we lose that, I think we lose a we lose a great deal. So that the, yeah, on the one hand, an orientation of dispute versus an orientation of dialogue. I had another thought on that one. Well, I wonder if on the topic of dialogue. So this is a, a the bottom of the article. It says adapted from Repenting of Religion, pages fifty-seven to sixty, mm-hmm. which I believe Greg or Gregory Boyd wrote. Mm-hmm. We haven't taken on a book in a while. I know you were saying maybe we should add this one to the list. Um, I'd like to, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn on that. I don't know. We have, oh, wait, wait. Well, we have a few others that we bought and then never read. And the thought <laughs> of opening them is, is really kind of painful. So in some ways, I'd kind of like to just decide that we're never going to read those books and maybe read this one. Um. On the other hand, I don't know, I had kind of a, a crazy idea based on another podcast I listened to, which would be to maybe announce this book that we're reading it well in advance and mm. then maybe invite a listener or two to have a conversation with us, a recorded conversation where we would discuss the book. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Just throwing that yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I, I had another thought that is some, for some reason not not coming to me where you were talking about truth and then you defining truth 
That, yeah, and they were talking about biblical doctrine being the issue. And then I mentioned uh, dispute versus dialogue. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you see, and, and another big part of this, and I think a big problem with this, is I can participate in dialogue. Dialogue is essentially a stance of listening first, not listening in order to develop an, an arg- a counter-argument or a rebuttal. Oh, I like that. It is listening to hear and understand. But that does not mean, you know, and, and, here, and here again, this is, this is tricky. It does not mean that I, in so doing and in holding that type of stance, have given up all ability to be critical. <laughs> listening to give you the right answer. <laughs> well, I, so you're not listening, like listening and listening long enough to understand and, 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 and validate that person as a person with whatever thoughts and perspectives they may have, is not the same as affirming those perspectives and thoughts. But I think part of the problem, too, is that it's not simply a discipline to engage in in an act of love, I think, to come back to this article, to engage in listening first and to hold us an orientation towards dialogue. But there's a degree of rigor that's required for me to be able to do that while at the same time maintaining the ability to critique. And I think that's another thing that's lost in this article. Because on the one hand, yeah, I don't want to, as you said, I don't want to take a baseball bat to somebody's head. But I might want to have something critical to say. I might disagree. And that's okay. If somebody says, you know, this is my view of, of God, or this is how I think people should be treated, or blah, 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 I may not agree. And I'm quite within my rights, just as they're within the rights to state their case and their view, likewise am I. But I think that being able to do that in the right way is a skill set that's, I mean, A, the whole stance is not uh, advocated and modeled in our churches, but the skill set needs to be developed on top of that, right? It's like this idea of critical listening. I think the only way that we can listen critically as opposed to it being uh, a critical kind of waiting to pounce on someone which has little to do with listening and everything to do with being critical, is if we have developed certain skills through the process of engaging with ideas, engaging with people that allows us to validate them and to say, you know, my ideas and my views are not ultimate. I'm not God. I may think they're true. I may have think I have good reasons to think they're true, but I can always learn something. So is there a way to dialogue with an article like this? Because as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, well, someone could potentially rightfully say, well, you guys are just criticizing this article. I mean, you're just picking apart everything that's wrong with it, and there's not really a dialogue here. You guys have a better view of it, and that's kind of it. Aren't you guys hypocrites? Well, I mean, maybe I can bring out a little more information. This is an article and not a blog post because there's no way to respond. So I... Oh, interesting. Oh, that's right. You tried to... You tried to comment on this and there's no comments of it. You can't comment on the post. I cannot comment. I wrote to the editor and said, I see that you don't have comments turned on. Would you consider it? And then after rereading the article and thinking about it a little bit more, I wrote back and I said, you know, it's, it's a little strange because your article is about loving people, listening to their perspectives and not kind of trumping them with your view. And yet you're not, you haven't got comments turned on. So how, how, help me understand that. Right, so I'm looking to dialogue. I do have my own perspective. I'm, I don't. Uh, I don't disavow that. But I'm looking to dialogue. I've made two efforts now. That I've got nothing back from them. I hope I will, but I'm doubtful. Uh, 
Um, but it seems to me that their very way they've oriented their website by not having comments turned on is, is com completely contradicting the message in this particular article. Because I do have a different perspective, right? But I can't voice it to them and I can, they won't engage with me. Like yeah, you that's even interesting. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I agree with you on that. I, I don't know. Well, well, if it's that important to them, like on the one hand, yeah, they've put it out as an article. Okay, it's important enough to write something. No, what I'm but saying is, is there's... important enough to... Well, what I'm saying is there are a lot of trolls on the internet too. And maybe, I don't know, if you're a really popular website and you have comments turned on, you can get just buried in spam and garbage. Then fire me back an email personally. Okay. Right. If you find out I'm a troll, you can just you can block me. Like it's so easy. If you really don't, in other words, like if you okay. want to engage, and I sent this email when uh, a week and a half ago. I sent these two emails, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. I might send one more. Okay, so maybe the jury's still out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the jury has an opinion already, but maybe the uh, gavel's not down yet. So. <laughs> No, well, I, th I think it'd be great to, to interact with somebody on this, whoever this author is. But um, I think that the way they've set this up, they, they've kind of, on the one hand, I, I think, the, the, like as I mentioned, some of the, the ways that the Bible portrays God and portrays human beings are at odds with the argument that's, being create, that's, that's been created here. And, and on the other hand, it, it does seem strange to me the way that they're running their site and the way that they're kind of you know, really, really being wanting to be sensitive to other people and engaging, and yet they're not engaging themselves with with someone when they try to interact. So who knows, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll change. But well, any concluding thoughts? I still don't. I still feel like there's more to go on this one, and maybe because this has been a a really good uh, stimulant for me to think about. You know, what is it about love? And what it is about love and truth. And I, I personally, when I read this, my response is, I haven't done enough myself. You know, I don't agree with what they've done, but I don't have enough of what I've done to be able to be as clear and concise with my reply as I'd want to be. So you mean do more work in terms of putting forth your view on how love and truth really works together? Yeah, like even as I was reading the article and I was thinking about, okay, you know, what is love about? So I've got, you know, just in front of me here on this document, you know, love's origin, love's purpose, love's nature as offer, love's authentic receipt, love's basis as intention or understanding. And some of those, most of those things I, I kind of peppered into our conversation. But I'm realizing that I need to do more of that, be a little more rigorous, in other words, with, with some of that. Okay. And maybe just have that as, as something like on the, on the site. You know, like definitions. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 72. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.